Well, as some of you know, those of you that are involved with LBC and have been around the last few weeks, we are doing um, what uh, Christians, what people uh, who follow the, the Christian worldview or the, the Christian faith or uh, people who have chosen to follow Jesus, we, we've been doing over these, or starting from last Sunday, preparing ourselves for Christmas Day by going through uh, the practices of Advent, which basically require us to think on these three or four main themes that we have behind us. And as I say, people have been doing this for centuries trying to prepare our heads and hearts for our big celebrations on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So we started last week with hope and now today we're going to peace. But of course, as we, as we are celebrating Advent this year, we are doing it in a global context that says this has been one of, if not the worst year for us globally, at least for those of us who have been born since the Second World War. So we acknowledge that some of us are older than that and you might have some other uh, major catastrophes that have affected many parts, uh, many people in the world you might point your finger to. But for those of us born since the, um, the end of the Second World War, as far as a corporate disaster or a corporate tough year, this is definitely uh, the worst of them for us as, a, as globally. It occurred to me in the week, I wonder if we will get tired before Christmas Day of being reminded of this. And maybe some of us are fed up with it already. I've been to a few Christmas concerts at schools and a few other break, uh, wind-ups and break-ups of things, and it gets said at the beginning of nearly all of them. I say it myself. I think I've opened all the last month or so of sermons saying something similar, and I've noticed I am doing a little bit of an inward eye roll myself when I hear myself say it, <laughs> and when I hear other people say what is starting to sound very cliched. 2020 has been a tough year like none other most of us have known globally. And I just get that little sigh inside. But I had to remind myself that here is the thing. 2020 actually, objectively, in fact, has been a very, very difficult year for individuals, for communities and for the world across the globe. Now, my personal experience, your personal experience might not have been that devastating. Some, I know that I talked to even say, you know, it's tough to see how my life has really changed all that much. But that doesn't change the fact of it. And even in Australia, where arguably we would say we have done so much better than the rest of the world, even the parts of Australia who haven't done as well as, as WA, uh, a recent survey done by Australian social researcher Mark McCrindle shows 56% of Australians are struggling to find anything good about 2020. That one surprises me a little. 40% of Australians say they have suffered mental health issues this year to do with the pandemic that are going to have a long-term negative impact on them. And 67% of Australians are coming to Christmas time actively worried about the future. That is some of the, the facts. I mean, statistics, you can make them do what you like, but you get my point that regardless of what it has been like for us, it has in actuality been a very tough year across the globe. So last Sunday, we talked about the birth of Jesus as hope. And this Sunday, I want to talk about the birth of Jesus as peace, which at one level seems to me a very daunting task, pandemic or not, to be honest. I read something that a, a Uniting Church minister wrote back in 2013. Um, he, I think it was a he, I couldn't actually quite ascertain that, but he was speaking at a Christmas carols uh, concert in the, in the community uh, seven years ago and he wrote these words. He said, 
hi. He didn't say hi, although he may well have said hi. <laughs> and a small child walked up at that stage. He said, speaking about peace in a world as brutal as ours is a daunting, if not foolish, task. It is a great temptation, he went on, as my friend said, to draw the veil of celebration over everything. That's quite an evocative phrase, isn't it? But there are some things that will not allow themselves to be veiled, he said. There are some things that tinsel and baubles will not stick to. I think those words work pretty well for 2020, don't they? And as I said, not just because of COVID-19, I mean, think of the conflict in Afghanistan, civil war in Yemen, think of Syria and the atrocities and ongoing heartache there, all that's happening in the US, wherever you stand in relation to that. Closer to home, think about the growing anxiety and tension in our international relationships with countries closer to us. And even closer to home, we've still got stuff going on in our families, in our workplaces that causes conflict and anxiety for us. There are some things that tinsel and baubles just won't stick to. And I have to say that all this talk of a baby who brings peace at Christmas time, it might sound a little bit like we're trying to lay a veil of celebration just over, it, over life, just for a few weeks, just give us a few weeks, a couple of weeks even, and we can forget about the real world and just lay this veil of celebration over it and then we'll get back on with our real life. But I want to say that's not the way it is, not the way that the peace, the way we experience peace should be. There's a couple of reasons to that. for that. The first is that when those angels appeared to the shepherds, we've heard this passage a few times in the Advent season so far, and said to them that there was a baby who would bring glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased, that promise of peace was spoken into a world actually more brutal than ours. Okay? So spoken into a really brutal world. And there's more than that because we know, those of us who um, follow the Christian faith, who understand the Christian worldview, we know that the words the angel said were never meant to be pretty words, to, you know, just like a little bit of a take an aspirin and feel better for a little time. They weren't meant to be that. And we know that because of what God's story says peace is. Peace is actually a word found, I believe, in nearly every language. You know, sometimes you find words that don't, don't go into all the different languages, but peace is found in nearly, if not all, languages and is understood in most cultures simply as the absence of war. Or you could extrapolate that a little bit and say the absence of conflict, the absence of heartache. But I want to suggest to you that in God's story which we see, of course, in, in a significant part through the books that have been collected into the Bible. In God's story, peace does not mean simply the absence of war. Sometimes it means just that. But largely or overall in God's story, peace does not mean the absence of war or conflict or heartache. It actually means the active presence of something better. Okay. Now, the word for peace in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word shalom. And Hebrew scholars, I didn't do Hebrew when I was at Theol College, but Hebrew scholars uh, tell us that shalom in its most basic sense means complete or whole, which is interesting, isn't it? That's the most basic understanding of it. But it's, it's actually more than that because the wholeness or the completeness that shalom means 
has to do with something that is actually probably quite complex and was once broken up into pieces or had pieces missing or pieces misaligned, being made whole. I was thinking about how, how can we get our minds around this. Maybe one of the easiest ways to understand this is to think about if you have a brick home, <laughs> think about the brick walls in your home. And it, when you think about your walls, if you ever think about your walls, I don't know if you do, I must say I don't much, but uh, if you ever think about your walls, you think about them as the whole wall, right, that holds up that part of the house, holds up that part of the roof. But of course, everybody knows that each of those whole walls is made up of a hun hundreds of are bricks that fit together to make the wall complete. It's that sort of sense of something whole but made up of many different uh, piece, pieces. Some other examples that might help us understand. A shalom is the wholeness or the completeness that Job experienced when he surveyed his possessions and found nothing missing. So the, he, he found shalom when he looked out, surveyed all of his possessions and thought to himself, goodness, it's all here. Nothing's missing. And we read that in Job 5. Um, you will be at peace with the stones of the field and its wild animals will be at peace with you. You will know that your home is safe when you survey your possessions. Nothing will be missing. A beautiful sense of wholeness there. And then shalom is, is what King Solomon is said to have brought to the unfinished temple when he completed the building. He brought shalom to the temple in 1 Kings 9. Shalom is what we bring to our relationships when we are reconciled with someone. You know, when we stop fighting with someone and we start working together for each other's benefit. That is shalom, making something complex like our relationships that might be broken or bent or out of alignment in some way, making them whole again. And that's what verses like a Proverbs 16, a verse 7 mean when they say, when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at shalom with them. There's that wholeness, completeness, complex things are made as they ought to be. So shalom, this wholeness, this completeness, this fixing of something that might have been broken or misaligned or had missing pieces so that it is made complete. That word shalom is used of circumstances, of material things and of relationships. You know, King Solomon brought shalom to the temple. Shalom was brought into Job's circumstances when he saw that everything was back as it ought to be for him. And shalom is brought into relationships when we deal with brokenness there. So that was how the people that are part um, or represented by the Old Testament history understood peace or understood shalom. But the trouble was that shalom evaded them. <laughs> it evaded them as individuals, it evaded them as families, it evaded them as a nation, and it evaded all the nations that are involved in that history. And so people hankered after this shalom. They wanted it, they really wanted it. And so many prophets would talk about a time that was coming when shalom, completeness, wholeness would be restored. And of course, famously, the one that we, we remember at Christmas time is the prophet Isaiah. And Joel read us some of those words this morning. But I wanna back up a little bit from where he started and read some more to you. Isaiah 9. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. There will be fuel for the fire, 
For a child, they will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom. Prince of Peace. His government and its shalom will never end. Now, of course, it's in the New Testament period of history that we meet this Prince of Shalom. It's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. And Jesus' birth, as I've already just said this morning, was announced as the arrival of peace by those shepherds. Peace on earth, they said. Now, the Greek word, I did do Greek when I was at the old college, the Greek word for uh, peace in the New Testament is the word arene. And it still is a different word to shalom, of course, different language, but it still carries with it that idea of, of completeness, of, of wholeness, of something complex um, made up of many parts which might once have been broken or misaligned, actually uh, being brought together, restored to something whole. And I think you can see that. I hope you can see that in verses like this from Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought arene, brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, one whole, when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made arene, he made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Now there's a, a bringing together of something complex and broken and of many, many parts into something whole. There's peace. And in Romans 5, chapter 1, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. The baby we celebrate at Christmas time became a man, grew to be a man. And it was in his own death and his own resurrection that he actually mysteriously, extraordinarily defeated evil. He defeated death and he rebuilt, he restored. He started to put back together to make whole again that broken, misaligned, missing peace relationship between human beings and our Creator. That's actually quite some peace, <laughs> quite some peace. It was won for us by Jesus. And this most beautiful thing, before Jesus uh, left this earth, after he had resurrected to life and uh, shown himself, as we read in the history books, to hundreds of people in his resurrected body, as extraordinary as that may seem, after he'd done that, he said these words to his followers. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift. It's no wonder we give gifts at Christmas, hey? And the gift is peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. You know, if we have chosen to follow Jesus, then not only has peace restored our relationship with God, but peace has been gifted to us so that I think it is not too brazen to call ourselves actually people of peace. People who will bring peace into our relationships with each other and I think with the whole of the natural order too through that. 
people of peace. And you've got to remember what I've just said. We're going to get to the practical bits in just a minute. Peace is not, according to God's story, just the absence of war or brokenness or heartache. Peace is um, the active presence of God with us. Remember, we symbolise that in, the, in the, the, uh, the rocking of a small baby in our arms. Peace is the active presence of God with us and the active presence of God for us when He went to the cross. And if we follow Jesus, we're called to live as people of peace. And I think that means called to live as people who make peace and actually create peace in our communities, but not, not, not by drawing a veil of fake celebration over what is broken and hurt. Not by trying to decorate, especially at Christmas time, extra hard, you know, what is, what is hurt and broken uh, with, with tinsel and with baubles. That's not how we're called to make peace, not like that. And neither like this either, not by trying to conjure up calm feelings and create a meditative space in our lives and get our schedule looking like, you know, we can just swan into this and swan out into that. They might be really important things to keep you sane. I'm not disagreeing with that. But I want to say that's not biblical peace. That's not biblical peace. Living as people of peace is actively practising the presence of God with us and the presence of God for us. And I want to suggest, in case you're going, yeah, wonderful, well, how the heck am I going to do that? Three simple ways. Three simple ways that I reckon we can do. We can make peace. We can be people of peace. We can create peace, reflecting the peace that has restored relationship between us and our Creator by doing three things by listening to other people, by loving other people, and by serving other people. Listening to, loving, and serving. You see, I think we live as people of peace, people who make peace and create peace, when in humility, with patience, with great love, we choose those three things. To listen to, to love, and to serve others. In that way, I think those three simple things, we are taking the broken things that might be uh, part of our neighbours' circumstances, part of the relationships in our community, uh, part of the, 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 yeah, all that brokenness that is going on that causes people not to experience peace. And we are kind of in those simple ways of listening, loving and serving, saying, here, let's take this piece and put it here. In the power of Jesus and in the name of Jesus, helping to rebuild. And I want to say to you that this is why I don't think the biblical piece is, is about meditation and calm households and uh, free schedules, as wonderful as they may be, because this kind of piece is actually hard work. And this kind of piece is not passive. It's not something you can sit and let happen to you. It's not passive. And it's not pretending things are okay when they are not Peace works hard to restore to wholeness what is broken. And I want to suggest three practical ways of doing that this Christmas, by listening to someone, by loving someone, and by serving. And so I was, when I was thinking about the Beach Mission crew that were up the front here, it occurred to me that this Christmas and ho holiday time, some of us will be peacemakers on beach missions. It was lovely to hear some of the things that they want to pray for. Some of you will be peacemakers on beach mission because you will be intentionally listening to, loving and serving. People you have possibly never met before and will never see again. But don't underestimate the power 
of being peacemakers in that context this summer. Some of us will be peacemakers this Christmas and holiday season, listening to, loving and serving uh, other people by sharing a meal or uh, I know I've already heard people talk of arrangements they're making to include someone in their family Christmas celebrations because people don't always have a place to go to or a safe, happy place to go to. That's peacemaking. Some of us will be peacemakers listening to, loving and serving by inviting a conversation with someone we've hurt. Some of us might do it by choosing not to ignore the destructive behaviour of a friend anymore and, you know, that we might choose to step carefully into that conversation. That is a form of peacemaking, listening to, loving, serving. Some of us will be peacemakers who listen, who love, who serve by physically opening our homes, by actually opening our wallets and some of us by opening our minds to new attitudes and new viewpoints and new ways of looking at things that haven't been part of our norm. That can be an important part of listening to, loving and serving other people. The peace is not as such the absence of conflict because you can actually have peace in conflict. We can if we follow Jesus. Peace takes what is broken and restores it. And because of those of you who follow Jesus, because you've known that restoration, it becomes a, a mandate and a, and a power, I think, and an opportunity to step into that peacemaking space yourselves. So I've got a couple of questions as we come to close this out and, and get ready for our communion service, as simple as that will be in the COVID world. If you do follow Jesus, if you would put your hand up and say, yeah, I'd call myself a follower, then the question I want to give to you, give to myself, is how can you actually make peace, create peace this Christmas, this holiday season? Who is it that needs you to listen to them? Where do you need to show love? Where would it be good for you to serve? So for those who follow Jesus, that question. And for those who might be sitting here or listening online or perhaps later on in the day, uh, watching the recording again, if you would say, actually, no, I wouldn't say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm here, so I'm obviously interested in some way, but I'm not a follower of Jesus. Then I want to say these words to you. Jesus is here and he's extending his peace to you. Jesus is here extending his peace to you. He came to be God with you. And he came to be God for you. He grew to be a man who defeated evil and defeated death on the cross. And I can say without a doubt, Jesus will listen to you. Jesus does love you. He does love you. And Jesus has already served you in a most extraordinary way. Jesus will listen. Jesus does love. And he's already served you in an extraordinary way. So we're going to...